the text that will be taken for the sermon this morning, and it's found in Zephaniah. I can only imagine what it would be like to have a name like Zephaniah. Zephaniah, the third chapter, beginning with verse 12. I invite you to stand as we share in God's word this morning. Those who are left will be lowly and humble, for they who trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will never tell lies or deceive one another. They will eat and sleep in safety, and no one will make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. For the Lord will remove his hand of judgment and will disperse the armies of your enemy. And the Lord himself, the King of Israel, will live among you at last. <laughs> at last. Your troubles will be over and you will never again fear disaster. On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, Cheer up, Zion! Don't be afraid. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. I will gather you who mourn for the appointed of festivals. You will be disgraced no more. And I will deal severely with all those who have oppressed you. I will save the weak and helpless ones. I will bring together those who were chased away. I will give glory and fame to my former exiles. Whoever they have been mocked, wherever they have been mocked and shamed. On that day, I will gather you together and bring you home again. I will give you a good name, a name of distinction among all the nations of the earth. And I will restore your fortunes before their very eyes. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is God's word and we believe it. Well, I have pages and pages and pages. I do, really, I do. But I have it like in 24 font, okay? My eyesight's not real good, so I make it really big. Oh, okay, it's there. We'll, we'll, we'll bear with it. Before we get started, I'd like to, um, I'd like to pray. Um, there was a text received today that Fred's grandpa is in the hospital and found out that just right now he's being taken in to emergency surgery. So let's just lift him up right now, please. Charles. I'm sorry, I wrote down Fred. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we pray that you be with him, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord God, that you be with the doctors and the nurses at this very, very millisecond that you would guide them, that you would give them your wisdom and discernment on what they, what they find, how they can fix him, that your will be done, Jesus. We pray that you be with the family. We pray that you be with Charles. He's here. He's, he wants to be there. We pray, Lord God, that your will would be done and that you would be in that operating room just now, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. And Father, as we continue before your throne of grace, we take this silent moment and we lift up the prayers of our hearts today. For we came in here, Lord, with a week, a full week of stuff. 
some good, some bad, some in between, some we don't know what to do with. So, Lord, just now, we take this moment and we lay those things on the altar of our hearts and we give them to you, Jesus, that our heart and our mind and our soul, our ears and our eyes would be open to you and your Holy Spirit and your word just now. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, Zephaniah, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, although it would be kind of fun. Um, how many of you never knew there was a book in the Bible called Zephaniah? You've never said the word Zephaniah before. It's like, Zephaniah, what? Where is that? Is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. And if you look toward the old the end of the Old Testament, you're going to find lots of really cool names back there of the minor prophets. Uh, Zephaniah is tucked right in there between Haggai and Habakkuk. Aha, those are fun too, aren't they? Yes. So go to the back of the, new, of the Old Testament and find some of those minor prophets. It's not, you know, his name isn't Mike or Steve or Dan. It's Zephaniah. Go see all of your pastors. How, how wonderful. So they call him a minor prophet. There's just three chapters there. Have you ever known somebody who doesn't really talk a lot? But when, <laughs> but when they say something, it's worth listening to. They're not full of a bunch of words, but when they do say something, you know you should listen to it. That's how Zephaniah was. He was worth listening to. He gives us the hope of forgiveness. He gives us the hope of freedom from fear. He gives us the hope of salvation and the hope of love. Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20 is kind of where we're going to be today. Um, when you think about our future, the future of the world, are you hopeful? Are you hopeful? Does it put a smile on your face? Or does it put a little bit of fear and trepidation? Do you kind of like, man, God, you just got to do something here. We're not quite sure what's happening. You know, America loves surveys, right? We just, we love to do surveys. And there was a survey taken back when our world in 2016, remember that? Oh my gosh, everybody thought things were going to be really bad for 2017. And it says, according to the survey of people at the end of 2016, only 34% of us thought 2017 was going to be better. And then in 20, 2017 would be better than 2016, with 42% thinking it was going to be the same, and 18% expected that it was going to be worse. Now, it'll be interesting in 2022, when they take another survey and survey about how people were in 2020 and in 2021 and how hopeful that we were. You know, we turn on the TV and we see the news every day. It discourages us. We hear about terrorism. We hear about desperate refugees going to other countries, some being accepted, some being denied. Where did they go? Uh, interactable civil wars. It's not just between two countries because everybody else gets involved. 
Satan is having his heyday, ladies and gentlemen. He's having his heyday with television, with video games, with the internet, with pornography, with the killing and dismembering of humans, with spells and incantations. We are becoming desensitized. The black and the white of it, we are becoming desensitized. Politics throughout the world has turned evil. It's no longer, I'm, I, I'd make a better candidate than they would. It's turned evil. Sin is now called tolerance. We must be tolerant. And then here comes the coronavirus. Isn't that wonderful? Causing a strain called COVID-19 to infect our whole world. To infect our whole world. Overall, it's not a very hopeful picture, is it? The situation was not so different in the time of Zephaniah, a prophet who lived in Judah 600 years before Jesus was born. Thank you, Lieutenant, for saying living hope. For the word of God is living and God breathed. Everything that Zephaniah had to say 600 years before Jesus was born, everything that was said and done before that and 2,000 some odd years later is living. And he is our living hope. That's kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? That the things we're going through today, a lot of that they went through then and worse. At this time, just about 100 years had gone by since the destruction of Israel. Judah's sister kingdom to the north and the 10 tribes of Israel had been devastated by the Assyrians. They'd wiped them out. They never will appear again in history. Completely wiped them out. Down in the south, centered around Jerusalem, huddled two tribes that made up the kingdom of Judah. Things had not been so good for Judah either. Idolatry ran rampant. The idols, the incantations, cult prostitution, child sacrifice had, had crept in. Killings, torturings, and other criminal activity was everywhere. Merchants cheated their customers. Widows suffered in poverty. Power was abused by those in authority. Everywhere things looked bleak. People were not hopeful. Again, does any of this sound familiar? It's not all doom and gloom, ladies and gentlemen. But listen to what Zephaniah says. In the midst of all that stuff that's going on there, Zephaniah in verse 14 says, Sing, sing, daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all of your heart. Daughter Jerusalem. Let you put a smile on your face. All that stuff. But God is still in control. He gives us hope. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. It must have seemed strange in those circumstances that, that Zephaniah tells his listeners and us to rejoice and be glad and shout in the Lord. Why do you suppose he went there? Why do you suppose? Simply put, Zephaniah offers a profound and lasting hope in a troubled then and a troubled now world. Lasting hope. He gives us the hope of forgiveness 
in verse 15, the first part of verse 15, he says, The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. He's taken away our punishment. Have you ever known when you were little or when you're now that you're grown up, some of you, you were going to get punished for something? Either by the circumstance of what we've done or because we got caught or even because it just stayed in our brain and our heart and we were being punished. God's taken that away. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned the back of your enemy. Okay? That's wonderful. The people of Israel had wandered away from their God. They had been attracted by other gods, less demanding and more appealing. How nice is that? I have a God who tells me I can do whatever I want. That's here too, isn't it? In our day, in our age, this moment throughout the world. Ear-tickling sermons with no mention of consequences or right or wrong choices. Doesn't matter. God's a God of love. He'll forgive you. You'll go to heaven. It'll be okay. All of that is true if. They turned to Baal, the god of the sun, the sky, the moon, and storms. When they worried that they wouldn't have enough rain, they didn't have hope in God. They had hope in Baal. They built little mounds of earth that were four feet tall. And four eleven, so about that tall. Four feet tall. And they worshipped Baal there, of those little mounds of earth. Um, the Bible, it's addressed in the Bible, the, and they were called um, the high places. And the Bible addresses them, addresses the high places. And many times, as you read, you'll hear, the leaders of Israel turned a blind eye to these high places rather than forbidding them. These, these little worship places were all over Israel, supposed to be God's land. How do you think God felt? Kind of like what we're doing today, all of us. We do these things with the evil, with the world, allowing spells, incantations, allowing video games, TV, music, playful fun. It's only entertainment. No big deal. It's only entertainment. They turned to Moloch, who demanded child sacrifice. Read your Bible. It's horrifying. People gave their children and threw them into this fire. This, how it's described is this, this giant head is about 75 feet tall, and he's got this giant mouth open, and inside of it is this roaring fire, so hot that if you go near it, you'll disintegrate. You'll be burned up. And babies were thrown in there, children. Not just babies, but children. In an attempt to please him, they did this. They did this to please their God, Molech, instead of trusting and hoping in our God, in the living God who they knew. The Bible repeatedly, repeatedly forget, forbids child sacrifice and abortion. Is there forgiveness after abortion? Absolutely. There's nothing, nothing we can do that God won't forgive if we come before his throne of grace. 
Corruption had, cre had crept in. Loan sharks were taking advantage of the poor. The people needed forgiveness for turning away from the living God to worship these idols. We may not worship Baal or Molech, but we worship other more subtle gods. The God of consumerism. I want that. <gasps> I've got to have that pair of shoes. Don't laugh at me. Oh, I've got to have that pair of pants. Oh, you just don't understand. I've got to have this car. Look at that motorcycle. Look at the bike. Look at the boat. I've got to have these things. Do I need them? They're not bad things. But if we become obsessed with them, then they become our God, consumerism. Hedonism, a new word for me, a new word for you. I had to look it up when I was studying this. Hedonism. It means the pleasure, my pleasure is what counts. It's all about me. I want an ice cream and I'm going to go and I don't have money, so I may even go and take somebody else's because it's all about me. I want one, so it's okay because I want one. That's hedonism. No matter what you want, you have a right to have it. That is a God, small g. And then there's the goddess of sex. We now have that beautiful house in the suburbs. We have the car we've always wanted right off the lot. Um, we're wearing $110 pairs of shoes, or we're wearing that fancy suit. We have everything we want. We are successful. Now, my family's falling apart. My, my son has run away. Things are happening. But I'm successful. That is our God, a small g. These idols only bring illusory hope that fades as soon as we grasp onto it, but they will draw us away from worship and living for God. We too, we too need forgiveness for turning away from God to worship idols. God, for, God offers forgiveness for us today. For the Christian, we have received that forgiveness. Amen. That's exciting. We have received that forgiveness today. Although we continue to fall short. And that is why we continue to confess our sins to him. For the non-Christian today, the offer of full forgiveness in Jesus. Jesus is there for you to take a hold of and hope in. But what does that forgiveness look like? Let me read for you a story. A story that's not so unfamiliar to you. It's about Maria and her daughter Christina. Longing to leave her poor, her poor Brazilian neighborhood, Christina wanted to see the world. Discontent with living at home, having only a pallet on the floor, a wash basin, and a wood-burning stove, she dreamed of a better life in the city. One morning she ran away, breaking her mother's heart. Her mother knew what the life on streets would be like for her young, attractive daughter. So Maria quickly packed to go find her. On her way to the bus stop, she went to a shop to get one last thing, pictures. Now when I got to this part, I'm going, what's going on here? She sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all the money she could on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black and white photos, she got on the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christian, excuse me, Maria knew Chris, Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. Maria began her search 
bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with a reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes. As each place she left her picture, taped on the bathroom mirror, tacked up in a hotel bulletin board, or fastened to a corner of the phone booth, on the back of each photo she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before Maria's money ran out and the pictures ran out and she had to go home and stop searching. The tired mother cried as the bus began, to, began its long journey back to her small village. A few weeks later, Christina was coming down the stairs of a seedy hotel. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes were no longer dancing with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times she had longed to trade all those countless beds for her secure pallet, and yet the little village seemed so far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother, of Maria. Christina's eyes blurred and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back, Maria had written, whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And Christina went home. Zephaniah offers powerful hope for the future, hope of forgiveness, hope of freedom from fear, hope of salvation, and hope of love. God's forgiveness is like that. He offers us unconditional forgiveness and wants us to come home. Doesn't matter what we've done. Doesn't matter what we've watched or what we've listened to. It matters that we come home. It matters that we're his. We can always come home to him. Maybe today is that day to decide to come back to him. Oh, but you say, I have a relationship with Jesus. What's your deal, Major Susan? We're in church. We're Christians. I have a relationship with him. I gave him my heart. I come to church, and I mostly make good choices. It's the mostly part when I say I mostly make good choices. It's the, most, it's the other part. Who is our God? Who keeps us from daily devotion? And the areas in our life that we have compromised on. What are we compromising on? What do we do for entertainment? Is it God-honoring or just compromise harmless fun? The books we read, the movies we watch, the things that occupy our thoughts. Oh no, now I'm meddling, aren't I? Yes. Getting into here and here. But it's not me. It's what God's word says. And it's what God, the Holy Spirit, laid upon me today. God is asking us to ask those questions of ourselves. Compromise harmless fun. It's only entertainment. No big deal. Everybody says it. Everybody does it. It's all over. So is child sacrifice. Hope of freedom from fear. How many of you have never been afraid of anything? Me neither. Lots of fears. Lots of fears I've gotten over um, when I'm afraid of, uh, of something. The first thing I do is say Jesus. That's the first thing I do when I'm afraid of something is say Jesus. Because fear is not of God. And if I say his name and I sing my song, my song is Jesus loves me, this I know, 
for the Bible tells me so. I sing my song, and I say, Jesus, and I close my eyes, and I bring myself to him. And that fear goes away because, number one, I know him. Number two, I don't watch scary stuff. I don't need to. <laughs> my imagination is weird enough anyway. So in uh, chapter 3, verse 15, the second part of it, the Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. Wow. Did you know that never again you have to fear? Ever, never. You have nothing to be afraid of. Did you know that? Did you know that? But did you know it? I don't always know it. I think I do, but I don't always. Many people today are fearful. We're afraid of so many things. We're afraid of spiders. We're afraid of mice. We're afraid of the boogeyman getting in. We're afraid of so many things. Um, and there were those kind of fears back in Zephaniah's day. So what's going to happen? Things are looking bad. What if? What if in this crazy world I bring a baby into the world? What if I get married and it doesn't work? What if? What if? If we lived our lives on what ifs, we'd never do anything. We can't allow fear to grasp us and stop us from living our life. We fear failure, and sometimes we fear success. Because if we have success, then we have to continue to succeed or everybody will think we're a failure. So we're, we don't want to succeed. Fear is harmful to us. It creates stress, lots of stress and damage, and it, it saps us of our energy, it can become overwhelming. There are people who are so afraid they cannot leave their homes, agoraphobia. They can't leave their homes. The fear is so overwhelming to them. God says, never again will you fear any harm. But that is a choice. That is our free will. We have to choose to stand on that promise. So how can this be? The reason Zephaniah provides is very, very simple. We are not alone. We, we are, no man is an island. You've heard that. We are not alone. We are community people. God created us that way. He didn't create just Adam. And he didn't create just Eve. He created them community. He created them and they had babies and children, and we, we grew within the world, within the kingdom of God. He created us to be community. We are not alone because God, the Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. In scripture, these two themes are always linked. Do not fear because I am with you. We fear when, as Christians, we fail to remember that God is with us. For those today, not yet Christians, God offers his presence if you will invite him into your life. He also gives us, in verse 17, the hope of salvation. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. The mighty warrior who saves. In a dreadful flood, the, in, in dreadful floods like Hurricane Laura or other floods and hurricanes that we've we witnessed over television or some of us personally, you, we, we, see, we see boats coming and helicopters coming and, and rescuing people, haven't we? We've seen them being rescued from, from certain death from floods, wrenched up to safety or carried away on lifeboats. 
God promises us that if we turn to him, he will save us. He'll save us from certain death. He will, because he promised. He will protect us and keep us safe. He will, he promised. How can he do this? God's up there and we're down here. How can he do this? Because he is mighty to save in his word. The word, the word used here is of a mighty warrior, a very powerful person. Only God is able to save you. No other God, no other person, nobody else can forgive our sins. Nobody else can, can save us. Only the living God. He can save us from harm and from judgment that Zephaniah spoke of. That will take place when the great day of the Lord comes. No human can do this. Do you know that we're all going to stand before God by ourselves? You're not going to have your mother or your father or your spouse or anybody there with you. We're going to be standing before God all by ourselves. We're going to be accountable for us. For the choices and decisions we make for God are about our eternal life. Well, we're all going to have eternal life. Do you know that? You're going to live forever whether you believe in God or not. The atheists are going to live forever. We're going to live forever. I choose to take up residence here. I choose to go to heaven. I choose to be with my Lord and Savior. Zephaniah tells his listeners that those who have chosen to follow God have nothing to fear in the day of the Lord. But those who have refused to listen will have to give account for every sin that they have committed and remain under judgment. Do you know on judgment day, for judgment of the people, we will not have to be accountable for every sin? Did you know that? When we ask Jesus into our heart, <coughs> excuse me, and he forgives our sins, his blood, righteousness covers us. We are covered in his righteousness. We are now accountable for what we choose to do with that salvation. You see, ladies and gentlemen, and those of you who are watching, no choice is a choice. If we do not choose Jesus, the only way to the Father is through the Son in John. If we do not choose Jesus, we are choosing the world, and we are choosing hell. We are choosing, we are making a choice by not making a choice. But in that, there is hope for the future. We have hope for salvation. We have hope, freedom from fear. We have hope for our future. Zephaniah offers powerful hope for the future. Hope of forgiveness, from freedom of fear, for salvation, and of love. The second part of 17b says, he will take great delight in you. Isn't that awesome? He's taking great delight in you. Each one of you, by name, personally, he takes great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. God's going to sing over us. How cool is that? My God is going to sing for me. Is that wonderful? Amen? Amen? 
Our God is going to sing for us. He's going to sing over us. He loves us that much. When I read this, I was reminded of an incident that happened, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. <coughs> I was waiting in line, and I people watch. My mother has taught me. My mother taught me how to people watch. She loves to do that. Uh, sit her on a bench in a, in a mall, go shopping. She's happy with her soda and watching people. So I was standing in line waiting, and I was people watching. And I happened to see a young mother over by the wall with, um, with a baby carrier and a baby. And she put the baby carrier down, and she picked the baby up. And she looked at it. She had the baby in her arms, and she was looking at it eye to eye for, for a couple minutes, you know, just smiling and kind of rocking the baby and just adoring her child. And then she went and she put him up to her head and she gave the baby a kiss on its head. Then she lovingly took that baby and put him back, he or she, I don't know, put, put the baby back into the, into the baby carrier. <clears throat> and I'm seeing this and I'm thinking that's how God loves us. That's how God loves us. I have a God who looks over me like a parent. I have a God who loves me. He delights in us, his people. He just gazes at us and shows us his great love. He looks down on us and just loves us. Even sings over us like the scripture says, but will rejoice over you with singing in 17b. <clears throat> what a powerful picture of God's love. When we are so frail and so often turn away from him, he loves us. He loves us, not because we did anything to deserve it, because we certainly didn't, did he? Did we? I didn't do anything to deserve it. It's just that he loves us, but because it is the very nature for him to do this. It says in John, back in the epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, read it. <clears throat> Those epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, they're all about God loving us. I mean, you'll feel so bathed in his love when you're done reading that. Do you sense that love and acceptance of God the Father today? Do you know his presence in you? So I'm going to conclude today with verse 18. And I have a couple of different versions here. <clears throat> the NIV says, I will remove you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is burden and reproach for you. Okay, where do you go with that? What does that really mean? So I went to the King James Bible, and it says, I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly. Who are these to whom the reproach of it was a burden? Then I went to the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. And this is verse 18. I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feasts. They came from you, O Zion. The reproach of exile is a burden on them. What are we being exiled from today? COVID-19. We're being exiled from lots of things, aren't we? <clears throat> Including church. There's a lot of churches that still aren't open today. And people are sorrowful. They're, they're, they're mourning on the inside. Judeans exiled far from their homeland, when it talks about verse 18, would sorrow because they would be unable to worship their God in the appointed assembly, their sacred gathering. Whether it's in small groups or in homes 
or on team or zoom however it is we're gathering we're gathering because our hearts and our souls long to be together just like they did god knows what we're going through he knows this covid 19 stuff he knew about it long before we did but he's also bringing us together in assemblies like this in small groups in other ways that we're finding he is continually bringing us together please trust god in that please trust that god still has his hand in this and in us and in you that we will be meeting again that is his promise it has nothing to do with me it's his promise and then finally we hope we are how excuse me how hopeful are we today now we started off this about 15, about 20 minutes ago we started off talking about how hopeful the world is, was, isn't, maybe, who knows. But how hopeful are you today? After hearing what God told Zephaniah about hope within a world that was even worse than ours. When we look around us, there are many things that perhaps cause us to lose hope. But when we look at God and his promises to us, there is a great hope for the future. Tomorrow is our future. In an hour is our future. When we get up and leave these four walls, that's our future. There is a great hope for our future. Zephaniah has reminded us that God offers us hope. The hope of freedom. The hope from fear by his presence with us. We no longer have to fear him fear what's going on in our world because his presence is here with us. The hope of salvation, our sins being washed away, living forever with Jesus, living forever. The hope of unconditional love. Have we ever felt not loved? Sure we have. Every one of us can recall some time in our life where we just haven't felt very loved. But we have unconditional love from Jesus, no matter what. The hope of gathering together again. We have that. We, can, we will. We are gathering here now. Some of us through the, some of us through the, the, the waves, the invisible waves, that I have no idea how they work, but are gathered here with us in their homes. Some through teams, some, some through, um, through Zoom, some through other means that they have. But we're gathering together, and we have hope in that. Never forget, our hope is living and alive. 600 years ago, 600 years before Christ was born, and today, we have the same hope. He's the same today as yesterday. He doesn't change. I'm really glad because I change. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear.